race car behind. But I guess finders, keepers, losers, weepers? Is that? No, okay, we'll give it back. Is anyone else here a little bit jealous? Just a little bit. I'm sure everyone who's got a sweet tooth can sneak some chocolate sometime today. That's one of the, the great traditions of Easter is uh, chocolate, but we know that chocolate's just a nice side trimming. It's not the main dish. We need to remind those who think Easter's about the Easter bunny that it's so much more than just about chocolate and a bunny. And in fact, it's Easter Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2019. So that means some two millennia have passed since our Lord Jesus physically walked this earth as a man. Now, by any standard, I think that counts as a very long time, over 2,000 years. And so, if you're like me, then you've heard this story of Jesus' resurrection literally your entire life. I've heard it my entire life. I know some of you have heard it your entire life. Some of you only heard it later in life, but most of us have heard this story for a very, very long time. And so it hardly qualifies as fresh news hot off the press. We're here to celebrate it this morning, and yet we've celebrated it before. Lord willing, we will celebrate it again. And so I always wonder what it would have been like to have been one of those first disciples for whom this would have truly qualified as fresh, hot, off-the-press news, earth-shattering news, the sort of news that changed everything. And so this morning, I want to invite you to imagine with me that you are one of those first disciples. On that very first morning, hearing this news for the very first time and having lived through all of it having lived through the day that has defined history ever since. And so I'd invite you to bow with me, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you with grateful and humble hearts for what you've done for us. But Lord, we do confess that the sheer familiarity of this story with us takes a little bit of the excitement from it. That we've celebrated it before, If you are willing, we will celebrate it yet again. And yet the sheer familiarity of the story, Lord, we we want to feel that, that excitement that those first disciples felt. To even consider the possibility that you might in fact have risen from the dead. And so Lord, as we consider that this morning, we also remember that they had to go through the heights of agony and despair in order to experience the true euphoria and joy of your resurrection on Sunday morning. And so, Father, as we put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment this morning, I pray that you would just guide us by your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to receive a fresh and new experience of the tremendous story of your salvation for us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through these words through me, your servant, in Jesus' name. Amen. You awake suddenly from your troubled dreams in a cold sweat. The sun has not yet pierced the eastern sky. And lying there in the pre-dawn gloom, the horror of the previous days and events all come rushing back at you. 
You try to block them out, but you simply cannot. For as bad as your troubled dreams had been, your waking reality is worse still. For your master, your rabbi, your friend, the one you had given up everything to follow, your family, your friends, your career, the one you had staked all of your hopes on, is dead. Jesus is dead. His body cold and buried in the ground. Your mind can't help but recall again in vivid detail how he had been mocked and taunted like a lying scoundrel, then cruelly flogged and beaten like a stray dog, and finally crucified like a common criminal. If only you could have done something, anything, if only you had even tried, for anything would have been better than the bitter shame of having abandoned him. Back when the nightmare had begun, with that traitor Judas and the temple guards ambushing you in the garden, you'd been ready to fight to defend the master, and you had tried to do just that. Though heavily outnumbered, you were not only ready to fight, you were ready to die, if necessary, to protect the master. But then, with sword in your hand, ready to go to the death, the master had stopped you, told you to put down your sword. And then what you were supposed to do? If you couldn't fight, if the master said, put your swords away, what else could we do? The only other instinct was flight. And run, you did. You ran like you had never run before in your life, as though the devil himself were nipping at your heels. And perhaps he was. From that moment on, nothing had seemed real. More like a nightmare you couldn't wake up from. When you had finally regained some control of yourself, you had circled back around, discreetly, of course, to see what would happen to the master. You had found some reassurance in reminding yourself of his miracle-working power, of his incredible authority when he spoke, and how his wisdom, his intellect, was so formidable that no one could trap him with words, no matter how clever and cunning they seemed. Yes, certainly, the master would work all of this out somehow to his advantage. He always had before, hadn't he? But as the night dragged on, you wondered, and you dozed off once or twice, but had instantly come wide awake once the news arrived that the master's trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin had begun. Everyone waited to hear the news. Of course, he was not allowed a proper trial or defense. False witnesses were lined up against him. And worst of all, he wouldn't even defend himself. Not one word of rebuttal to all of their slander and lies. You had hoped and prayed that by the very nature of flimsy charges leveled against him, they would be forced to release him. But then it had happened. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. They had finally caught him in the unpardonable sin of claiming to be the Son of God. News of the admission had spread through the crowd like wildfire. And upon hearing it, your heart had sunk like a stone. Blasphemy. It changed everything. Now they had grounds to kill him. 
The stakes had been raised. And you knew the religious leaders would not be content with anything less than the death penalty. And that is when the violence had begun. You had flinched when you heard the first blows strike the master's face. The very one who had taught you to turn the other cheek was now doing just that. As one after the other after the other, the Jewish elders took turns spitting in his face, slapping him, striking him with their fists. All of their pent-up animosity, jealousy, and hatred towards him that had been stewing and simmering for years was finally being vented through their sheer cruelty and brutality. But still, the master said not another word. By that point, you had already been numb and utterly exhausted. You had been traveling for days, busy, hardly catching sleep where you could, but now all of this, you were exhausted. But the cruelty of the day was still just getting started. After the elders had their fill of hitting him, spitting on him, mocking him. Then they dragged him off to Pontius Pilate. Then Pilate had him sent over to King Herod, and then King Herod sent him back to Pilate. Back and forth you had skulked along in the crowd, hood up, hiding your face lest you be recognized, recognized as one of his disciples. The quick glimpses you got of the master along the way shocked you. You hardly recognized him. His hair, straggly, matted with blood. His face swollen, bruised and bloody from all of the many blows he'd received without a word of protest. Then the purple robe draped over his shoulders by Herod's soldiers. It had added an extra surreal element to all of this, mockery and scorn. Hail, King of the Jews, they had mocked as they struck him. Hail, who hit you? Tell us. But then a glimmer of hope had appeared. The the second time before Pilate, it became obvious he wanted nothing to do with the master. That he was in fact looking for a reason to release him. But those bloodthirsty priests and Pharisees were having none of it. They were adamant that he must die. So Pilate gave the crowd a choice. To release one criminal. Jesus or Barabbas? It was clear which way Pilate thought the crowd would choose, for Barabbas was a notorious criminal, a murderer. That had been your chance. This was your opportunity to redeem yourself, and finally you find your voice and had shouted out, Jesus, release Jesus. He has done nothing wrong. But to your utter shock and dismay, Your solitary voice was drowned out by the screams of the crowd, yelling as with one voice, Barabbas! Release Barabbas! Your voice faltered and fell silent. Pilate's next question pierced the air. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? You could still feel the hatred in the crowd's reply. Crucify him! Crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And then when Pilate had gone and washed his hands, gave his agreement, 
the last glimmer of hope flickered and died within your heart. How had this happened? How had it come to this? Just a week earlier, less, you had been paraded down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Everyone was shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You were sure the throne was right around the corner. He was going to ascend and you would be right there with him. What had gone so horribly wrong? Just 24 hours earlier even, the picture before you of your master, beaten and bloodied, was unimaginable, unthinkable. He was so gentle, so peaceful, so kind. He eschewed all forms of violence. Who could do something like this to him? But as you looked, as you saw, your own eyes did not deceive you. Your own ears did not lie to you as you heard the words, as you heard the blows descend. It was all too real. And oh, how your heart ached at the sight. Unable to tear your eyes away, you kept watching. You watched in horror as he was flogged. You watched then as a crown of thorns was cruelly pushed down onto his already disfigured brow. You watched as the soldiers continually mocked him and beat him some more. When would their cruelty end? When would their thirst for blood be satisfied? And through it all you had wondered, how does the master endure all of this? How does he still stand? How does he go on? And your wonder had only increased as you then watched as he was forced to carry the heavy wood beam of his cross up the hill known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. You watched as the soldiers nailed his hands and his feet to that cross and lifted it to the sky. Scalding tears began to blur your vision as you then watched the master's long last hours of pain and suffering And agony. And after what seemed like eternity, you had heard his last final ragged cry It is finished. And with that, he had breathed his last and died. And as that realization had hit you that Jesus, your Lord and Master, was truly gone, it has felt as though your heart was shattered. For all of your dreams, your hopes, your very purpose for existence had been fixed on him. But now what remained? What was left? He was gone. Only fear, despair, and tremendous confusion was left. And you could only wonder over and over again, how had everything gone so wrong? Now rubbing the sleep from your eyes, you look out at the eastern sky as you see the pre-dawn glow of the sun just beginning. It's now the dawn of the third day since the master's death, but you can't help but wonder, how does the sun still rise? How can life carry on as though nothing had happened? 
as though the greatest man who had ever lived, who had ever walked the earth, had not just been unjustly and cruelly murdered. How could life ever be the same again? For three years, you had been his faithful disciple. It seemed like only yesterday when he had first invited you to come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. From that day on, nothing had ever been the same again. Each day was new and exciting and bewildering, but you couldn't wait to see what happened next. You had seen the utterly impossible. You had seen blind men receive sight. You had seen lame men with crippled, shriveled legs walk with thick, full, healthy legs once more. You had even seen Lazarus, a dead man in the grave four days live again. And you had shook his hand and talked to him and slapped him on the back. You couldn't believe your eyes, and yet there he was. You had seen it all. And each day along the way, you had hung on his every word. You had hung on those words as he spoke to you in those private moments. When he had taught the crowds on the hillsides, those who thronged along the way. And though you had to admit, though you hung on his every word, there were so many times you didn't have a clue what he was talking about. You just couldn't understand what he was saying. And so you were always so pleased when he just took that extra time to see that confused look in your eyes and explain the meaning of his teaching, what the parable had meant. No one had ever taught like he did. Even when you couldn't understand, the words rang with truth. You knew they were the words of life. No one had ever looked at you like he did. Not even your own mother looked at you with the sort of intensity and knowing that Jesus did. No one had ever loved you the way he did. And oh, how you loved him back. You had been so ready and willing to follow him your entire life. It was a given. You had believed so strongly that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who had been promised and foretold by the prophets. But now, now you just don't know what to believe. And there on your bed the tears begin to fall unbidden once more. It seems that your tears have been your only companion these past days. And you think about your past, your present, even your future. With Jesus gone, there is nothing left here for you now but sorrow and danger. All you can do now is leave Jerusalem, leave it in the rearview mirror, all of your hopes and plans, leave them behind, the Messiah is gone, and just go home. Your dreams are as dead as Jesus in his borrowed tomb. Suddenly there rises a shout from outside your window. Immediately you're alert and sit up in your bed. Have they found us? Are soldiers coming to drag us away? You listen again. It's a woman's voice. Ringing in the stillness of dawn like a bell, this time closer and louder just outside your window. Wake up! Wake up! The tomb is empty! Jesus is gone! We don't know where he is! The words fill you with both confusion and wonder. What? Impossible! 
You had seen him die with your own eyes. They all had. But yet, what did this mean? Could it be? Suddenly, a small flicker of hope ignites within you. You jump from your bed and rush out to discover that the women who had gone to the tomb early that morning, even before dawn, had discovered that the stone was rolled away, and yes, in fact, the tomb was empty. Then you tried to piece it together in the excited talk. They had seen angels, Jesus discarded grave clothes, and most fantastical of all, Mary of Magdalene claimed to have seen her, seen him. She said something that your, word, that your mind could not comprehend. Jesus is not dead. He is alive again. No, you refuse to accept these words. And yet something inside of you asked, could it be? And suddenly you realize you are running. You are running like you have never run before, running with greater intensity than you had even run away in the garden. But this time, not running away, you are running towards Jesus. You are not running away from death, but towards life, towards his tomb. You had to see for yourself. And as you run, you see that the sunrise has just lit up the eastern sky, beautifully, pink, purple, and orange streaking the sky. And for the first time in three dark days, hope begins to glow in your heart once more. For if Jesus was truly alive, then not only would everything be all right, but then truly nothing would ever be the same Again, and neither would you. You knew it from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. If this were true, everything changed. That day, everything did. And my friends and fellow disciples of Christ here today, I'm here to tell you that Jesus did rise again. Jesus is alive And truly, nothing has ever been the same since. And so too, anyone who has met that risen Savior can ever be the same again. It is utterly impossible to meet the risen Lord and leave unchanged. Everything changes. How we view our lives and our purpose, it changes. For we no longer live for ourselves but for Christ, the risen one. We no longer live for our own agendas, but his. We no longer live to advance our own empires, but his kingdom. And then how we view death changes. For its sting has been completely removed. The empty grave is proof. Death no longer has its sting. The cemetery no longer has the final word. And so today, even as we consider fallen brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, even in their suffering today, our view towards their death has changed because we have confidence that the slain children of the Lord are not slain and in the grave. Their spirits and souls have gone on to be with the Lord in glory. Everything changes because of that day. So allow me to ask you, Have you met the risen Savior? Have you heard Jesus call your name 
and responded in faith? If so, then just as certainly as those first disciples, you know the truth that your life has never been the same since. Pastor Timothy Keller once said, If Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? But if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Quite simply, it is impossible to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, to place your faith in him, and then go on living the same old lives we did before. Imagine, can you imagine those first disciples after having seen the resurrected Jesus for themselves, after having touched him, felt him, talked to him, communed with him, ate with him, can you imagine after all of that them simply continuing on back home as though nothing had changed, just to carry on their lives as they had before having met him? Can you imagine that? No, you can't, can you? It's utterly impossible Well, it ought to be the same for us, shouldn't it? Listen to Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, our call to worship. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. My friends, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten, Paul asks? Have you forgotten the very purpose Jesus did all of this and that we died with him, were resurrected with him, was for the very purpose that we may live new lives? This is the end goal, my friends. New life today, new life for eternity. The purpose of Jesus' death, burial, and glorious resurrection was to enable us to do nothing less than live completely brand new lives. Not just a new and improved version of the old life, an entirely new life. And the great thing is, it's not on us to do this. It's not on our own strength to do this. Paul tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God has given each one of us to do just that. The resurrection power of Christ is now our power. As Paul said, Oh, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so today, my friends, if you have put your faith in the resurrected Christ then by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is within you right now, today. So let me ask you, are you living out that new life in the resurrection power of Christ? If you have not, yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If maybe for the first time you are realizing that you have not yet done that, let me tell you that the resurrection power of Christ is available for you right now today. 
and you can simply access it by faith. If you truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the grave, you confess that with your mouth, the scriptures say that at that very moment you are saved and the Holy Spirit of God will come and indwell you and seal that decision, that simple decision of faith to say, Lord Jesus, I believe. Today, that resurrection power is available for you. Why don't you lay hold of it? Why don't you make it personal today? And so for those of us who have made that decision a long time ago, let's not live another day living the old life of the old man by our old strength. Let us truly and fully lay hold of this single reality that Jesus did all of this so that everyone who lays hold of his salvation through faith will never have to live another day in the old man, in the old flesh, in the old way, but that instead, in every single way, we may live a new life. Today and tomorrow and in all of eternity. A new and eternal and glorious life. For this is what Christ died for, This is what Christ was raised from the dead for. And this is what we will praise and glorify Jesus, the Lamb who was slain through all ages and eternity for. And we will praise and we will worship him, for he is worthy. And so today on Easter Sunday 2019, in the year of our Lord, it may seem like a long time has passed, but you know what? We don't know how much time is ahead of us. Yes, a lot of years have gone by, but we don't know how many years we have left, whether the Lord's return or our own lives will pass to go and be with him. And so may we each redeem the time that is ahead of us. May that new life of Christ within us become ever more evident. May the resurrection power of God become ever more real. And most importantly, may the incredible love of Christ become more dear and more real with each and every passing day until we see him face to face. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love for us for your incredible strength to endure the cross, to endure the scorn and the shame, the ridicule and all of the pain. You endured it all to the last bitter drop. And we thank you that you did this for us. But just as importantly, Lord, we thank you that you did not remain in the grave. We thank you that death was not the final word. We thank you that this day, Easter Sunday 2019, we remember that first Sunday when early that morning you said, death, you're finished. Death, it's your turn to die. I am instituting a new law, a law of life, and it's going to be purchased through my death and resurrection for all who believe from this day forward and into eternity. And so, Lord Jesus, we stand today in confidence that you have done it. 
that it's not just a nice story we rehearse, but that you, in fact, bodily rose from the grave, and that today that makes all the difference for us and for everyone who believes. And we thank you even more, Father, that the same resurrection power that you exercise to raise your son, Jesus, from the dead is the same resurrection power that you have granted and given so graciously to each one of us that even now it is burning in our hearts. And so, Lord, we simply lay hold of that power through faith that your spirit makes available to us that we would follow in your plan, your template, that we, from this day forward, would live new lives. Not just kind of, sort of, but truly living new lives in every sphere of life. How we think, how we talk, how we act, how we walk, everything changes, Lord, because of you. And we pray that this new life will become more and more evident in each one of our walks. From walking out of this building this morning to getting in the car, to going to family gatherings, wherever we are, Lord. May your new life burn more brightly and in more fullness with each and every passing day until we see you, Lord Jesus, face to face, until we see those nail-scarred hands and feet for ourselves, until we feel your embrace and we long for the, com- the words of commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord Jesus, we honor and we glorify you We bless your name, and we ask for your grace and mercy to continue to flow out upon us, that by your strength, we may truly be your witnesses to this lost world. For your glory, and in your name we pray. Amen.